Alexander Hart and McDonough, a love people the way you've called to love people. It kind of has that. It also supposed to comfort us. It's also supposed to let you, let you and I know, that, hey, that we're his. And last week, if you were with us, that was like text where I feel like John had to press pause. Kind of be a little bit more heavy-handed, and he kind of pressed pause and was just trying to give that father figure to us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 19 to 20, he says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And I feel like John was trying to take a second to be like, if right now your heart is condemned, let me just remind you that God is greater than that. He knows all things. We talk about Psalm 103. That God knows our frame. He knows we're just dust. God knows that our spirit is willing and our flesh is weak. God knows that sometimes we can't always look him in the eye and say, I love you, like Peter. Like, we kind of like, we talk through that. So that was like the father heart of John. Just kind of pressing pause and saying, let me remind you guys that if your heart condemns you right now, God is greater than your heart. He knows your frame. He knows your dust. He knows your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And now John kind of goes from that father heart to back that shepherd heart. All right. So he kind of goes from father heart to let me be kind of um, more of that shepherd figure. So John's going to actually, in this section we're going to look at, he's kind of going to um, talk really straightforward about false prophets, about those who are teaching heretical doctrine. Uh, as a shepherd, we're to love our sheep, feed our sheep, care for our sheep, tend our sheep. Uh, sometimes we're supposed to rebuke our sheep, but also as a shepherd, you're supposed to shoot wolves. And that's what John's kind of doing here. So John's like, let me now shoot the wolves that are coming to the church and preaching bad doctrine. And so I want you to see John kind of goes back and forth from that tender father figure, beloved. He says over and over again, beloved. And then he says something really painful. Uh, he goes from that father figure to that shepherd figure. And so he's going to call out some bad doctrine. He's going to call out some people in the church uh, who probably aren't the best influence on the early church. And so I just want to read this section. We're going to be the last verse of chapter 3, and then look at chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, we'll start there. We ended there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, we'll read this and pray. John writes, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in Jesus, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. But we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray, and we'll look at this more in depth. Father, again, we thank you that we can study this. I know this is so much more than even just something that was written to a church 2,000 years ago. It's written to our church, the church. And so, Lord, speak to us, God. What, what influences are there in our day that are coming into the church? God, I ask that you would speak to us, that we not be ashamed of the gospel, that, God, we not be ashamed of your great grace, your great love, and this, this great grace that pushes us towards a life after you, Jesus. So, God, I ask that you just speak to everyone in this room, myself included. God, that we would hear your voice tonight. Thank God, there's so many outside voices trying to speak into our lives. We just want to hear from you. So speak to us, move in this room, in your wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. It was my senior year of high school. I was um, in my apologetic class. Uh, I went to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa High School, CCHS, Calvary Chapel High School. 
uh, was like the first Calvary Chapel High School. And uh, we had an apologetic class that's basically like a how to defend your faith class. So senior year, I don't know how they do it in other Christian schools, but they had a class on how to defend your faith. And so I, I remember my freshman year, there's a Bible teacher. He was gone. Sophomore is a different Bible teacher. Junior is a different Bible teacher every year. For some reason, we in that class. So we had a new Bible teacher that year. He's an interesting guy. Uh, he actually wasn't there this day, but we had a substitute come in. And so I'm in Bible class my senior year. We're taking an apologetics class, and our Bible teacher did something one time where I kind of made myself look, look awesome, uh, more foolish. But um, he actually brought in a friend one time and had this friend to pretend to be an atheist, and he knew his stuff. And no one knew. We'd never seen this guy, so he comes in the room, and he's basically just going to go, hey, I want you to use my friend be respectful. He's not a believer. He is an atheist, and I want you to be respectful. And so... Uh, that didn't go great. So this next time around, we had another guy come into our class, um, the substitute. And this guy ended up pretending to be an atheist. He ended up saying, hey, I just came in a Christian. We're like, oh, you got us. So we had, a, we had a substitute come in. And I thought he was doing a similar thing, where he's pretending to be something he's not, but he really believed it. So we had the substitute come in, and, and he was teaching us this day that the God of the Bible is the same God of the Quran. And he was teaching us this day this lesson. And I was sitting there. It was only a few weeks after this guy who pretended to be an atheist came in. And I was sitting there listening, I'm like, okay, I get, I get it, the Bible teacher's sick, and so he calls us sub to play, you know, a fake guy again. And so he's teaching us that the same God that we worship in the Bible, the same God of the Quran, is the same God of any, anyone that you call God is the same God, we just have different names and titles. And he's teaching this for a while, and I go, oh my gosh, wait, this guy's not kidding, he really believes this. And so he's teaching our class this, and this is the substitute teacher teaching our Bible class. And I remember... Not, nothing like Korea was not by any means some Bible genius, but I remember the kids in the class were like, yo, say something. And I'm like, no, like this guy has to be kidding. I'm like, no, he's not kidding. I'm like, I'm not going to fall for it this time. <laughs> um, so like, say something. And the whole time, it's kind of one of those things, right? I had so many emotions, but nothing could come out. You know what I mean? We were like, where do I begin? But he was adamant. He was actually, a, he was actually a track coach that ended up teaching us substitute Bible. That's probably the way I don't know. But that's what he did. He came in. That was his last year uh, teaching at our school. Um, <laughs> it really was in our Bible teachers last year. But he came and teaching this. And I remember I so badly wanted to say something, but I kind of had that like frustration. But I didn't know where to begin. I mean, this guy was a nice guy. I knew him. I remember seeing around, talking, making small talk. Really nice guy. And yet he was genuinely teaching heresy. And I don't even want to begin. I don't know where to be on that. That's not the topic of how we don't worship the same God. He was genuinely teaching heresy. And I don't want to use that word lightly. That's a heretical thing he was teaching us. That's a damnable doctrine that he was teaching us. And it's one of those things where, again, we have to discern as a church, when someone shares something that's, that's different from us, is it heresy? Is it just different opinion? Is it on a major doctrine? Is it on a minor doctrine? How do we as Christians respond to this? What's our approach? Let, let's just be honest. There are true prophets. There are false prophets. That's the whole point of 1 John 4, 1 through 6. There are people who hold a Bible. They're teaching God's word. They're teaching God's word. There are people holding the Bible, teaching God's word, but they're not teaching God's word. Something else is coming out. And John is trying to warn us of those people. And they might use the same terminology. They might say similar things. They might have a big following. There might be people we listen to on podcasts or on TV. They might have a big platform. But again, he's saying there are some people, just because they hold the Bible doesn't mean they're speaking the Bible. Just because they're talking about Jesus doesn't mean they're talking about our Jesus. You know, I have some quotes for some pastors uh, in, in America that I just wanted to throw up on the screen and not give their names. But just some things that generally have been said from the pulpit to people. So I'll throw these up here. One pastor wrote, we liberal clergymen are no longer interested in the fundamental modernist controversy. We do not believe that we should even waste our time engaging in it. So far as we're concerned, it makes no difference whether Jesus Christ is born in a version or not. We don't bother to form an opinion on this subject. This is a genuine believer, not genuine, this is a guy who claims to be a genuine believer, pastor, says it doesn't matter 
whether or not Jesus was born of a virgin, big ministry in the Virginia area. Another pastor writes, we have closed our minds to such trivial considerations. Oh, same thing. Nope. Uh, yeah, here we go. We have closed our minds to such trivial considerations as the question of the resurrection of Christ. If you fundamentalists wish to believe in that nonsense, we have no objection. But we have more important things to preach than the presence or absence of an empty tomb 20 centuries ago. Someone who genuinely gets up on a pulpit every Sunday, this guy needs to get a new job, and says, it doesn't really matter if Jesus rose again or not, it doesn't really matter if the grave is empty or not. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, hey, if Christ is not risen, we're the most pitiful. We're the most few. We are wasting our time if Christ is not risen. That's what Paul says. This guy says it really doesn't matter. We are here in the base of teaching morality. We're here to teach good rules, good ethics, how to raise with that, etc. This is this is more common probably than we think, right? And this is not something I'm trying to like freak out the church, but this is something we should be aware of. We should care about doctrine. We should care about truth. Uh, there's a pastor uh, named Adrian Rogers, and he had a really good quote on this. And I preached this guy, old school guy. Uh, he wrote, and I, I think I wrote the same twice, twice, forgive me. Uh, now the devil had rather get you to believe a wrong thing than to do uh, to, than to do a wrong thing. This is it again, so forgive me. Why? <laughs> he says, because the thought is the father of deed. Listen, the thought is the father of deed. If he can get the wrong thoughts into your mind, then he doesn't have to worry about the deeds. The thought is the father of deeds. It really does begin with a thought. Again, we can know people by their fruits. Good theology, good belief in Jesus should lead to a good lifestyle reflecting that. That is true. But even if they have a good outward fruit, doesn't mean they always have good theology. This is kind of the point of First John, right? John is basically saying, this is what you need to believe about Jesus to be saved, and this is how you need to love. He's saying, you might have the love thing down, but bad beliefs, you're off. You might have good beliefs, but not have the love thing down, you're off. He's trying to call off both. He's trying to call out both sides to this. Uh, a, a proverb that kind of speaks into this a little bit is Proverbs 23.7. Maybe you've heard this. It's kind of a little phrase. Proverbs 23.7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We have to agree that doctrine does matter. We have to agree that teaching does matter. People who do say, and I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, people who do say doctrine doesn't matter, you ask them, is that your doctrine, right? And someone's like, oh, doctrine doesn't matter. Like, that's a really strong belief you have about beliefs. <laughs> beliefs matter. They obviously matter. They obviously matter. Maybe you've heard it put this way, and I love this saying uh, about sort of thought. He writes, you sow a thought, you reap a deed. You sow a deed, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. Right? You ever hear that saying before? You sow a thought, you reap a deed, you sow a deed, you reap a habit, etc., etc. It does begin with a thought. Thoughts are powerful. And I think it's A.W. Tozer, he said something along these lines of, what comes, in our, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. When someone says God in your mind, how do we describe God? How do we define God? How do we talk about God? What terminology are we using? Like those, those definitions really do matter, obviously. So it starts with a thought. It starts with a belief. It starts with doctrine. It might turn into a deed in how we live. It might turn into a habit, etc. And so here's kind of the point. John is saying, test all things. Test the spirits. 1 Thessalonians 5.20, Paul wrote it this way, he says, test all things, hold fast what is good. Test all things, hold fast what is good. So here's kind of what we're going to look at. So I'm just going to talk about testing the spirits, testing false doctrine, testing false prophets. What does that look like? What does that mean? How do we not become also really uberly weird about it? How do we not become someone who's quick to pull the trigger and call someone a heretic? And they're like, no, that's probably not our place. Because when the church starts fighting with the church, then everyone starts to lose. 
And I think so often Christians can fight with other Christians. The, the goal here is not to fight with other Christians, other Bible-believing, practicing, gospel-centered Christians. That's not the point here. The, the point here is to call out those who aren't preaching good theology, who aren't preaching Christ and crucified and resurrected. The point here is to call out those things. And so we're, we're going to kind of look at that because this really does matter. As we read some of those quotes, there are a lot of people who don't necessarily believe the essentials anymore like we believe. We believe that Jesus literally died and literally rose again. That's not as common as we might think it is. So let's look at verse 1 again. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, what does he write? He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. Let me just point this out again. He starts off and says, beloved. And John is that father. He's that grandfather. Before he says anything hard, he's like, hey, loved ones. And then he usually says something hard. And I just love that about John. He, he, start, he reminds us again of who we are before he kind of gets straight to the point. And you are beloved. Again, know that. John, John was loved by God, right? John called himself, I'm the loved by God one. That's what John called himself. And John said, hey, other people who are loved by God. Listen. And I'll say this, it all starts with reminding ourselves of what love we rest in, what love we have. You know, we gotta, we got to preach against bad doctrine. We do, because we've got to remind of God's love. This is so important. God's love is just so much more, it's probably more deeper than we give it credit. It's not shallow love. It's a love that will transform and change everything about us. And so he says, beloved, and he says, test the spirits. Now, if you want to write this down, maybe you've heard this, but the word spirit or spirits is this word pneuma. Maybe you've heard of pneumatology. We'll say pneuma, is, it means the study of the spirit. Pneuma is usually referred to the Holy Spirit. That's usually how it's referred to. But pneuma can mean breath or wind. So when John says test the spirits, in this context, it's believed that he's saying, yes, test the spirits, like not like spirits that are anti-God, anti-Christ, he mentions that. So test the demonic spirits. But he's basically saying test the breaths. Like test those people who say things. Test people who are speaking things. Like, so when people speak, this it's pneuma, it's breath coming from you. It's test what they're saying. So what are some of those things for us? And I don't even know how to begin this list. You know, for 2017, we don't deal with Gnosticism necessarily in our day like they dealt with in their church. Gnosticism, as said, in some ways we do, material is bad, spiritual is good. If material is bad, that means Jesus did not come in a physical body or rise again in a physical body. It was just all spiritual. It was just an emanation of God. And so they kind of put as physical is bad, spiritual is good. Now that can be a common belief in some ways, but what do we deal with? And this can take many forms. How do we test the spirits? What does this look like? What does it look like to test the spirits? What does it look like to hear someone on a podcast or teaching and go, is this good? Is this right? Is it not? So a few things. I just want to kind of set, I guess, the, the stage a little bit. A few things I want to point out to you guys. I don't think we'll be up here, but one, one thing I want to point out really quick is, just you can remember this, write this down. People who say they're Christians are innocent until proven guilty. Here's what I mean by that. Let's not be so quick. Let's just not be so quick. If someone says they're a believer in Jesus Christ, I would say, let's just kind of say, okay, yeah, I take you at your word until proven that you're not. Like, we gotta be, we can't be so quick to condemn people because the church is, we're probably, we err on that side too much. Number two is a similar thought. Uh, don't take the posture of a critic. I think sometimes we can be way too critical right away. I think sometimes, again, it's Christians fighting Christians and then no one's winning at that point. So we've got to be careful how we speak about other people. I've got, be, I've got to be careful how I speak about other leaders. Because again, when you're, if you're calling someone a false prophet and they're not, what are you, right? So we've got to be careful how we speak about things and how we speak about other leaders and teachers. So a few just ground rules, that's what I'm trying to go over. Number three, uh, do real research on someone's current belief. You said, do real research on someone's current belief. All right, not maybe a past, but do real research on that. Uh, I had someone 
recently sent you an article about a pastor who I, I personally love and adore, and I've probably read over 10 of his books, and I read his sermons every week, and I love this guy, you probably know what I'm talking about. But someone sent me an article about why this pastor is basically the, the biggest heretic alive. And, I, and he's like, just have you read this article on this pastor, blah, blah, blah. And I go, hey, let me just ask you a question. I go, have you ever read anything from this author, like anything, or ever heard a sermon of his? He goes, no, no, but I know that he's very influential in the Christian movement. And I go, hey, I go, please read at least something of his before you tell me he's the Antichrist, all right? I'm like, please just read something. Um, this is one of the top three guys I would like highly endorse. And I, I, I think what this guy's doing today is great in the church. And it, but it's funny how he just found an article. I'm like, where'd you find it? He's like, I Googled it. I'm like, okay, please do real research. All right, the inter- just because you find it on the internet obviously doesn't mean it's real. And also to this, on their current beliefs, there are some people who've held some, some bad beliefs in the past and they've changed, they repented of that. You know, I'll say something we should be aware of in the church. It, it is someone's perspective of the Trinity. There are some guys on TV, they don't believe in the Trinity as you and I know it. That we worship one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All right, we, there's a belief called modalism. Don't need to fully get into that. But they believe there's one God and he expresses himself in three different persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit. So now there's three individual persons, but that God will take on different forms. That's called modalism. We would say that's heresy. There are guys who believe this in our own TV teaching. So I'd say be familiar with certain things like that. We should know where they stand on the Trinity. We should know where they stand on, on who God is and how you define God again. And, and I'll say this, there are guys who believe that they repented of that. They realize, oh my gosh, I just grew up in that movement and I never really looked in the scriptures and I'm sorry and I repent, forgive me. And what we should do is forgive them at that point in time, right? So there's just some of those things. I think we should, what is someone's current belief? And do real research on those things. Number four, before you test the spirits, test your heart. There's a side of it for us where we actually need to look at our own selves and be like, why am I so prone to pull the trigger on someone. I've had to do that in my own life. Like, God, why am I so quick to condemn someone or something or some movement before I really even just, is it, is it pride, is it ego, is it they're not my thing, they're not my group, they're not, like, what is that? In some ways, I think we need to test our own spirit, our own heart in that way. And here's something I want to point out. There might be times in people, let me just say this, just because we hang out with someone with a different belief system, but they're still a brother and sister in Christ, does not mean we're endorsing them. I say this, Jesus hung out with a lot of people that did not mean he endorsed them, okay? My point is, if you ever see, I, when I was in California, I was living in California, I don't know how this even happened, but I was like 20 years old, 19, 20 years old, and I was asked to speak at this church. Uh, now, this was not a church that I feel like I would really be asked to speak at. Uh, this was more like a prosperity church, they, this, they, they didn't really focus on sin, they didn't talk about, they didn't teach the Bible, nothing like that, but I was asked to teach there. Now, there's some people that say, don't go and teach there because you're endorsing them if you go and teach there. The way I looked at it is, no, they're asking me to come teach. I can come in. I can actually give a Bible study. I can talk about sin and salvation, heaven and hell. I can come in and kind of redeem. Maybe maybe they can go, oh, my gosh, that's what it's like to go through the word of God. Like, So my mind, it's not that I'm going to run away from them, but how can I go in to help transform it? Do you know what I'm saying? Now, I think there's a side where some people say, no, by doing that, you're endorsing. I'll say, Jesus hung out with a lot of people that didn't endorse, but he befriended them. And I say, church, we can get a lot better at hanging out with people that are different views than us. We can actually befriend them and not endorse them. We can befriend them and not say I agree with their lifestyle. I actually think we as Christians should have more friends that are very different in lifestyle than us. Jesus was really good at that. So we just gotta be careful in our hearts not to become overly critical or, oh, you're hanging out with that group of people? Like, what is that? That is a born again brother or sister in Christ. We're like, man, I can't believe. So we have to be careful. Again, let me, you know this, we wanna say some of these things just to be clear. We should rather be known for what we're for than what we're against. 
we should be more known for being about Jesus Christ and the cross and him behind resurrecting and, and the church, the global sea church. Like we should be more known for, for what we're for than what we're against. We want to be a pro-movement, not an anti-movement. Like we're against this, we're against this, we're against this, we're against this. Well, what are you for? Well, we'll be told what we're against. Like, no, we got to avoid that. What are we for? So we, gotta, we want to be a pro-movement in that sense. I put it this way. Uh, you can make a point to people or you can make a difference. Right? Like you can actually try to make a point and prove them why you're right. Or you can get to know them, befriend them, love them, serve them, hear them out, express your position on something. I'll say this, it is okay if people have different views than us on ecclesiology and how the church should be ran or how it should, should be done in that sense. And, and if, if it's heretical, let's talk about that. But if it's not, let's have it be an open-handed thing, not a closed-handed thing. We'll talk more about that. All right. So we see this idea of, of testing the spirits, not endorsing them, being probative. So three simple tests, three simple tests I see in this text about how to test the spirits. All right, you can kind of see this. It's the word test or the Bible test. He who hears us, verse 6, right? He who hears us is of God. So the word test, the Bible test. You have the Jesus test. He's going to talk about what do you, how do you define Jesus? And then you see the spirit test. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit in four and five. So these different tests, these different tests. So let's read verse uh, 6 just so I can kind of bring it together. Verse 6, let's read that. He says, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Uh, I had lunch with a, a guy in ministry, a worship leader at the church a couple weeks ago. And uh, I said, hey, man, tell me your story. It was a really, really unique and powerful story. Um, somehow we got into talking about different issues we ran into in the church. And I was talking about a couple. I, I walked through the pre counseling with them and just kind of a messy background. And the guy goes, hey, well, this is my story. He goes, so I got divorced from my wife as a believer. And he goes, it haunted me, it killed me. As soon as we got divorced, I knew, I knew, I knew that I was supposed to remarry my wife. Like, I knew that. He goes, we got divorced, and please, I want you to hear the whole context, you know, come to a certain conclusion. He goes, he goes, we got divorced for unbiblical reasons. We didn't have biblical grounds for divorce. And he goes, when we divorced, it just killed me inside. I knew I needed to marry her. And he goes, I was, for months, I was trying to, like, win her back and love her and show her I care for her. And she goes, she's just, the more I try to love on her, the higher she put up these brick walls. I could not win back my wife. And I knew, I knew God showed me that I need to remarry. Like, she's my wife, and I had to repent of a lot of my sin. And so he's walking me through his story. He said, one day I got in an airplane, and I was going to the city, like some music thing. And he goes, this guy sat next to me, who was a well-known pastor, evangelist kind of person. And he said the same thing, tell me your story. And so he tells him his story. And this pastor, and this is what this guy's told me, the pastor evangelist, prophetic guy says, hey, listen, I have a prophecy for you. Here's my prophecy for you. You're going to marry someone other than your wife. And she's going to be this, 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 this. He gives her descriptions. He says, you're not going to marry your wife. This is the prophecy he gave you. are not going to marry your ex-wife. You're going to marry this new person. He goes, hey, within a week, I met that person he described. And he goes, we got into a relationship. We started dating. And I took that conversation just, I took that conversation as justification to pursue this new relationship. It was all the while I knew in my heart it was so wrong for me to this new relationship. All the while I knew, I knew God has spoken to me through his word as reconciliation with my ex-wife. But I'm yet dating this, this other woman because this guy gave me a prophecy. Long story short, he realizes he's in a terrible relationship with this new woman. They break it off. A couple of years go by. His wife gets, like, I guess she kind of, not gets saved, but she kind of has a spiritual revolution in her own life. And she repents and she, they get married again. The guy walked through years of not being married to this woman, I thought all hope was lost. And he, I wait to hear, this is a guy in an airplane, he goes, this guy told him, you're not going to marry your ex-wife and marry this woman. He goes, and that she, she arrived like the way he described. But that was not from God. 
I was not built. He didn't have biblical grounds for remorse. He goes, I knew everything was saying was wrong, and yet I just wanted to hear it and believe it. He goes, little did I know the guy who's giving me this advice, this prophetic guy that's giving me this advice, he was going through his own divorce and living with someone else. He goes, little did I know that's why he's giving me this advice. Yeah. And he goes, in my heart, this was a prophecy I wanted to hold on to because I wanted to move on from my ex-wife, but I knew this wasn't from God. Here's the point. If you hold the idea of a false prophet or true prophet doesn't contradict God's word. It's pretty simple. If it goes against God's word, it's not from God. If, if we know that this is not of God, then it, it's not of God. It doesn't matter what person comes along and says, let me free you from that brother. That is not a burden on you anymore. Let me just speak the truth over you. It, is not, it doesn't matter. If it goes against God's word, it goes against God's word. It doesn't matter what new person might come along and say otherwise. So let me just kind of bring a few. You guys follow me? Yes? Makes sense? Story makes sense? Okay. So let me, let me kind of add to the speed for really quick. What a false prophet is not, we'll look at what a false prophet is. First of all, what a false prophet is not. A false prophet is not someone who said something wrong one time. All right. Just be clear on that. People will make will make mistakes. Has, has anyone here ever said something wrong? I wish I wish I could take that back. Right? We all have. A false prophet is not somebody who says something wrong one time. Like, oh my gosh, did you hear that person one time say that? It's like, mm, okay, that's not a false prophet. Maybe you said something wrong. We're two really quick. We'll just move these quickly. A false prophet is not someone you disagree with on open-handed issues. A false prophet is not someone you disagree with on open-handed issues. Open-handed issues being topics that are other than salvation. So, should we homeschool? Should we private school? Doesn't matter. Open-handed issues. Uh, <laughs> salvation, is it fully God? I mean, it's God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Listen, we can still partake and be brothers and sisters. We can still go to the same church. It's okay. Uh, those are issues that don't have to be exclusive. So if someone says, though, uh, Jesus was not born of a virgin, that's a close-handed issue. Someone says, Jesus sinned before. You know Jesus sinned before? No, that's a close-handed issue. There are some of the, the Jesus, <laughs> Jesus didn't die for the sins of the world. No. Jesus didn't rise again from the grave. No. There are close-handed issues and open-handed issues. And I think as a new believer, it's hard sometimes, sometimes, to distinguish between the two. Because we're going, you don't agree with me on my views of the church? Ah! And it's like, no, we, we should embrace that person. We should welcome them into our lives. I'm thankful for guys who hold a different stance than me and helps me search the scriptures more. I'm thankful for guys who might have a different end times view than I do. And I go, well, let me search the scriptures more on that. I'm thankful for that. Yeah, I can tell you, you can have a different end times view and come to church here. You can have a different view of soteriology and come to church here. It's okay to have different stances on those things if they are the open-handed things. That's a wonderful thing. I think I'll only better the body of Christ. If we can learn, you might have a different view than me, but we can love each other, be in community with each other. That's a really healthy thing. Number three, a false prophet is not someone who is in the process of learning or changing. Again, people learn, people grow, people will change in certain things, and that's okay. There might be something you're, you're clinging to right now that you might not believe in six years, 10 years, 20 years. It's okay. Let's be patient with people in that, in that way, as long as the open-handed issue. Follow me? Next, you can say this. What is a false prophet? Uh, so many ways to begin. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, somebody's intentional most, like, they're intentional most of the time, meaning they're intentionally teaching false doctrine. Sometimes might be unintentionally teaching false doctrine. The person knocks at their door and says, did you know that Jesus is Michael the Archangel? They might not know that. They might not. They actually might believe that. They might not be intentional with that. That's just something they heard. But I'll say, for the most part, it's someone's intentionally teaching a false doctrine. And it's on close-handed issues. It's on the fact that Jesus is, they say Jesus is the half-brother of Satan. Again, that's a close, like, no, I'm sorry, he's, he is pre-existent. Jesus is eternal. He, did not, he is not the half-brother. Like, there's some of those things. Number three, they're devoted to compelling others to abandon biblical truth and adopt their ideology. So it's almost like, no, 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 just read this book. It's like, read this book. There's nothing wrong for your books. But the idea is like, no, like, I, I have the Bible. I can read the Bible. So it's like, read this person. It's great. There's nothing wrong with that. 
nothing wrong with books. <laughs> I love to read. I'm a book nerd. I'm more of I love that. But I'd say hold it to scripture again. Let's keep kind of going with this thought. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Let me just point this out because you might disagree with this. I personally believe that we as people, we as human beings, love false prophets. We might not ever say that. We might not ever talk about that. But I would say that just human nature is to embrace them. And here's what I mean. If you ever read the book of Jeremiah, God, I love how God uses Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I, I just, my heart goes out to the guy. because He's constantly weeping. He's constantly crying. He's constantly being, repent, please. Like, he's like pouring out his heart. No one repents. In Jeremiah's ministry, no one's ever like, you know what, Jeremiah, I think I'm going to go with you. Like, no one ever ends up following him and going, oh, let's repent with Jeremiah. Basically, the king and the people of this day and age are saying, Jeremiah, all the other prophets are saying God is with us. All the other prophets in our day is saying the best is yet to come. You're saying judgment is to come. We don't like that. So they beat Jeremiah, they abused Jeremiah, they threw him in, like a, in a dungeon, they did a lot of things to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the one guy that says, no, the best is yet to come only if you repent. <laughs> the best is yet to come only if you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, then the best is yet to come. The point with Jeremiah was he was preaching a message people didn't like to hear. He was saying, if you do not repent, we will go into judgment, the Babylonians will come and take us captive, we need to repent, we need to repent. Comes a point in time, he goes, it doesn't matter what we do, we're going to be held captive by the Babylonians. They didn't like Jeremiah, they didn't like him for that. So they raise up their own false their own false teachers. And they say, but do you hear? There's a hundred guys who say this. You're the only one who says that. And Jeremiah's like, well, let's just see whose word comes to pass. You know, in the book of Jeremiah, there's a verse that talks about this, or a chapter that says, no longer shall people say the Lord has said. No longer shall people say the Lord has said. We, the Lord has said, we have it. No longer shall someone speak for God. God has spoken. Amen. Let's read what he's spoken. Amen. And so that's kind of the idea with Jeremiah. And no one, no one embraced that. No one wants to hear those hard things. No one's like, oh, thank you so much for telling me that my sins have been separated from God and I'll be in hell forever. But then the good news is, because of what Christ has done, you can actually be reconciled in. Like, people, they, they like the second part, but not the first part. But the second part is only so good because of the first part. And that's what Jeremiah is trying to express and show. Let me actually put it to you in the New Testament terms. All right, we'll throw the verse up here. 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, and fulfill your ministry. Paul says this to the church, the last letter he wrote before he was taken to be beheaded. Paul's like, guys, we're gonna we're gonna raise up a generation of false preachers and teachers, people we want to hear to say things that we like to hear. He goes, but you fulfill your call, you do the work of evangelists, you fulfill your ministry. Another time, Paul wrote to Timothy, like his protege, his disciple. I love this verse. It's 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, or chapter 4, verse 16, I believe. He writes, Take heed to yourselves and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so, this will save both yourself and those who hear you. Hear that? Paul's like, Timothy, take heed to sound doctrine. If you do, this will save yourself and those who hear you. Fight for doctrine, fight for truth. Fight for these things that no one is fighting for anymore. He's saying, take heed of these things. Keep them close to you. Love these things. Embrace these things. And this is like the heart cry from the church. And by doing so, we'll save yourself and those who hear. Doctrine really matters. Study, guys, even things I might share express. I hope it frustrates you sometimes. Like, I don't like that. Then go to the scriptures. Then you search it out. Then you seek it out. If you guys remember in Acts 17, Paul is with, he's ministering to all these different cities. He was in Thessalonica. They hated Paul. They chased him out of their city. Paul ends up in a city called Berea. Remember the story of the Bereans? Paul goes to this. He preaches the gospel to them. And I love this verse, Acts 17, 11. It says this. These, we're speaking of the Bereans, were, were, 
more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Isn't that good? They go, they, they, they actually hear the word of God, and they're like, is this really in the Bible? Let's search this out ourselves. Did God really say this? Let me seek it out. Let me not just take it all at face value. Let me look for it. If there's one thing that we can produce within all of us, if, if just produce students of the word, those who love the word, those who study to show themselves approved unto God and work, but need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, if we can produce within us that heart, God, I just want to know you. I want to know you so I can make you know better. I want to know you so I can introduce people to you, God. And I think we just have such a powerful thing happening within our circles. So if we have this Bible test, we have the word of God test. Hold it to the word. Be the Bereans. Be those who hold it to scripture. Just because a prophet says, I have a prophecy for you, does not mean it's from God. Be aware of that with Jeremiah. Next is the Jesus test. The Jesus test. Look at verse uh, 2 with me. The Jesus test. Verse 2. What does he write? He writes, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, is now already in the world. If I can point out like a little phrase to you, just to keep your mind and your heart, we'll throw it up here, uh, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Notice how he says that. No one here is chosen to be born. Like No one here is like, I think I want to be born on earth now. right? Like, no one here is like, we don't have that power and authority. I love how it describes Jesus, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Like, it's like, okay, this is the time to come. That, that he's the only one who's pre-existent. He's the only one who's eternal. No one ever made Jesus. Jesus has always existed. He is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and bone. Like, the idea is Jesus has always existed. And I want you to see this. There's a difference between us and different beliefs. We say that God became a man. Other belief systems will say men can become gods. Mormonism will say, listen, if you do it your way, you, you can actually maybe be your own God on your own planet, popular forever. You're like, that sounds awful. I'm a woman. I don't ever want to do that. Like, but they have their own sayings, their own beliefs. You can become a God. But for Christianity, it's God became a man. But he has come in the flesh. Again, he's being specific, speaking of his deity and his humanity. That Jesus is fully God and yet fully man. It's an important truth about Jesus. It's an important truth about Jesus that throughout centuries, councils have come together and said, we must fight for this. We must fight for the truth that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And we can't be exclusive to either one. You can't deny that he's fully man. That's heretical to deny, deny he's fully man. It's heretical to say he's, he's only fully God. It's heretical to say he's only fully man. You must embrace both. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That it's God became a man. Both are necessary. Because anything else is antichrist. And we know that the spirits are in the world. Now what does that mean as we talked about? I won't go into it. We did that teaching a few weeks ago. But antichrist can mean against Christ or in place of Christ. It does not just mean you're against Jesus. It means something or someone might try to take the place of Jesus. Some belief system might try to redefine Jesus. I think in a church we can redefine Jesus. I think we can have fortune cookie Jesus. Who we like these, we like we read some statement of his, but I like that. I don't like that. I'll throw this away. I'll keep this. Like we can define our own Jesus. It's said. Who is Jesus? What did he say? What did he claim? Do we follow everything? Do we look at it? Do we examine it? Do we study it? Because the, the spirit of Antichrist. Is those who aren't just against him, but trying to be in place of him. Two quick verses, just to help us in this. Paul spoke in depth about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In depth. And I would read the whole chapter, but I'm not. 2 Corinthians 11, 4. Paul writes, For he who comes, preach, for he, if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, 
which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Not, he's basically saying, don't put up with it. He's saying there's going to be people who preach a different Jesus, a different gospel. Don't put up with it. There's going to be people who come in the name of Jesus and not be the true people of Jesus. Sometimes we can try to make Jesus in our image. Sometimes we make hippie Jesus, who only loves people and never talks about sin as not a judge or a king. We've got to look at the whole person of Jesus. He is king who is a servant. We have a unique Jesus who is fully God and fully man, the second person that turns into eternity, who would have entered human history, who lived a sinless life, who healed people, who did miracles on earth, who he died a substitutionary death on the cross, he rose again from the grave, he ascended on high, he's ruling and reigning with God, he's the king of kings and lord of lords, he's coming back one day to rule and reign where we will forever be with him. Yeah. And we worship this Jesus. This is the Bible Jesus. This is the Jesus who came as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. Yeah. We worship that Jesus. And he said, let me talk to you about Jesus. We need to understand who we're worshiping, we say Jesus. And just because someone says Jesus does not mean they're talking about Jesus. And that is so important for us to understand that. How do we define Jesus? And how do we talk about our Jesus? How do we how do we really not just talk about this nonchalant kind of cliche way that's my dog, my homeboy, but how do we understand he's king? How do we understand that he's the Lord? How do, how do we understand that whatever he says goes? He is God, I am not. And he's not just Lord over some things, but over everything. Who, how do we define and talk about Jesus? So we have the Jesus test. And he describes that more in depth. And then lastly, look at verse four. We're gonna see the spirit test, verse four. He says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He, he who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. See, now we have the spirit test. He goes, there's one who is in the world, and there's one who is in us. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And let's just talk about that for a second. Who is the one in us? We have Jesus. We have God's spirit. Right? It goes back to verse uh, 24 in chapter 3. We have the spirit with us and in us. Let's talk about Jesus too on earth for a second. When Jesus was on earth and he healed people or he preached a powerful message or when he loved people, did he do that because he's God? Did he do that in his divinity or did he do that from his humanity? According to Philippians 2, everything Jesus did was from his humanity. That Jesus actually laid aside his divine attributes, it says. So the point is, when Jesus loved, he loved through the power of the Holy Spirit. When he preached, he preached the power of the Holy Spirit. When he healed, he healed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're told in Romans 8, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. That greater is he is in us than he is in the world. Because we have the spirit of God that rose Jesus from the grave also lives in us. Amen. We have some wonderful power that I think that is in our lives, but do we access it? Jesus did pray all night. Jesus did seek the Holy Spirit. Jesus did walk hand in hand with God. Jesus did put himself in places where he could be refueled and refreshed and to have the power of the Spirit in his life. And it's so encouraging to get to me to know that Jesus did these things from his humanity, not his divinity. That Jesus did these things because he sought the Holy Spirit. I love how, again, A.W. Poser put this. He says, while our Lord Jesus was on earth, he did not accomplish his great deeds of power in the strength of his deity. I believe he did them all in the strength and authority of his Spirit-anointed humanity. That Jesus, at one point in time, goes to John the Baptist, and he goes to get baptized, and the Spirit of God comes upon him, and that's when his ministry begins. It's when the Spirit of God comes upon him. An idea for us is don't do ministry until the Spirit of God comes upon us. Amen. Don't try to preach the gospel until you have the Spirit of God preach the gospel through you. And we, we can't do this in our flesh, but we will fail. We can't do it from the power of the Holy Spirit, people get saved. And really, this is the idea of, again, we have the, Holy, we have the Bible, we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit who helps illuminate this. We better know him and know him through his word. 
This is what I have for us. First, verse 4 to me is kind of the thing I've been just meditating on. Do I really believe that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world? We have so many. Church, please just hear this. We have so many outside pressures. There, there, is, there is one in the world that does, I think, it's a lot of outside pressure. It's funny. I think some of us can care more about how many followers we have or how many people like our photos than we care about people who are lost in their hell. It's crazy what I can care about more. It's crazy to think I can care about certain things that will mean nothing in the light of eternity. I think we have outside pressure, pressuring us to care about things that just will not matter at all in the long run. And then you have the spirit of trying to remind us, hey, there are people who are lost who believe Jesus. Who cares? Who cares? Reach them, love them, serve them, preach the gospel. Who cares what people think about you? Who cares how it's viewed? Be faithful to called you, and I think we have this pressure on the inside that is so much greater than the pressure on the outside. I think there's like almost this competing pressure from the outside, but we have the same power that rose Christ from the grave living in us. What a power we have. I'll say this, there's going to be there's going to be false teachers, false prophets, false saints, false whatever. And we're going to have to rely on God's word, God's son, and God's spirit. We're going to have to go, God, give me insight. Is this from you? Is it not from you? God, give me boldness to speak up when someone speaks about doctrine in your name and claims in the name of Christ. Give me the power to speak up against that. There will be times I'll have to rely on a source that is way greater than us in that. So church, I mean, it's interesting, this text. It's basically just speaking against false prophets, false teachers, and saying, but guess what? You have God's spirit in you. And greater is the in you than he is in the world. So, so let's believe that. How do we not just hear a Bible study and walk away and go, that's okay, or that was good, or that was, how do we just believe it? Whatever, whatever we read, what if we just said, you know what, I believe that. Like whatever, we, I, I was, you know, just talking to different friends, I'd say, there's a side of us where it's like, who cares if you read the Bible? Do you do it? Like, you can read the whole Bible and do nothing. That's possible. You can read the whole Bible and read all the, God, I know everything, I have all the commands done, but do you do it? Do we believe it? Do we walk in faith by it? Let's believe it. Let's believe today that God is living in you and that is a greater power than that, that little power that's in the world. It's an awesome power. And I want to kind of I want to kind of take this line of thought and really quick kind of change thoughts with it, but kind of add to it really quick. Speaking of greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world, let me just bring up something really quick. Um, November is like orphan awareness month. That's kind of like this, that's kind of, I guess, you know, we try to time, have time to like be aware of that. I want to share something really quick with you guys. Um, my wife and I both work at Ford Kids in South Florida. I know I'm called to do this. I'm called to preach the gospel, make disciples. I want to, I want to give myself entirely to this. Obviously, we have to pay the bills, right? So I'm a job. But to be honest, working there and being involved with it years ago at his caring place, he's still involved in that. Four Kids in South Florida is basically a foster care agency that when kids get ripped away from home because they've been abused or sex trafficked or abandoned, they're now taken usually to a police station, and they're usually trying to, they're trying to find a home for these kids. Four kids exist to say, hey, we will take those kids and we have a safe place for them. We don't have to stay in a police station. Um, we'll have a safe place for them until we can find families. So uh, you'll see, we're going to play a little video because there really is a crisis in South Florida. Um, we had 125 kids in the month of August who did not find a home or sent out of the county. We had 75 kids in the month of, I believe, September that uh, did not find a home or sent out of the county. You can go to these group homes, there's like 120 kids in these group homes. 136 was that one group home that my overseer went to. I'm bringing this up because I do feel the weight of this, not just because I work there, but for years we've been a part of Calvary, we've been part of these things where I, I so believe in four kids. Um, I really do believe the best way to get hands and feet of Jesus is helping the most vulnerable, and, and I can't imagine a, a more vulnerable person than someone who's seven months old and been abused by their parents. I can't think of someone who's been more abandoned or neglected or more vulnerable than that. I went to a safe place. It's a house where they take kids who've been abused on safe places last week. I held a seven-month-old baby that's been there for a week. For a week, because we can't find a home. 
And I feel this crazy weight. <laughs> I don't know if there's ever times in your life where I feel, I feel a crazy weight to get the gospel out. I think people are dying every day that don't know Jesus, and I feel the weight to, to make that known. I hope you feel that weight. I feel this other weight of there's a real crisis in our backyard in South Florida. I mean, that people are constantly going 